weird Friday for me. And I hope it's for all of you. Today we're going to talk about psyops and betrayal by those that we trust. As all of you know, in 2022, I ran for Secretary of State. Now, the devil was in full-fledged, you know, attack. You know, there are some times, and I heard this recently, I don't remember where, where the devil literally whispers in my, my ear and says, what the fuck are you up to? Because I can't see. Huh. See, when I ran, obviously, it was to win, right? You always want to win. But then win is what? Win the seat? Win this? No, win. And here's how you do win. You learn how they maintain control. It started with the Ohio GOP with a traitor that used to work in the White House with President Trump, uh, a, a little guy named Biss, Justin Biss. He's actually very close with Roger Stone, too. It actually helped me uh, that those teeth came out because we were able to see how there's back-channel communications in ensuring candidates and ballot measures do not succeed. In the bluest county of Cuyahoga County, there is voice recording, undercover voice recording, of the Board of Elector, uh, Elections uh, directors uh, having a private conversation with Frank LaRose. Now you're going to say, why? A lot of people have jumped on this PSYOP bandwagon. I've said this many, many times before that people do not read. People trust other people that are sinners just like you rather than you trusting yourself. Know them by their fruits. What have they given you? You know, this, this discussion actually was had in a court of law, what is it, 2023, right, 2013, 20, 2009, about one guy. This was kind of it was a court martial, so not many people know about it. So this guy was an incredible servant of the U.S. government. And everyone had to testify to his integrity because he was losing his money and status within a, a three-letter agency. And I remember just how many people came up to support him. And get this, he did amazing things, right? Things to help our nation. 
but it really shows the integrity of your character when you're broke in a corner and stuck. Stuck to the point that you don't know what to do. Almost like the vaccine question. Do I take it and then I'm risking my life so that I can maintain my job? Or do I not take it and fight and not have security, whatever security this earthly plane allegedly provides? Well, this guy did something even worse, okay? He did what I would consider a crime against humans. And so while everyone praised him for the amazing leadership and the amazing things he did, when I was asked, I said, listen, I've worked with this person for over a decade. They have been exceptional, but I will not judge, but I would say that I do not feel comfortable working with them because when they were in a circumstance, they did something that was unheard of for their benefit. And that was just to get another contract. So he instigated, I guess, a dilemma in order to gain a couple million more dollars to conduct whatever he needed to conduct. And all the other people that were praising him were in on that money grabbing thing. So they all said, you know, maybe it was a lack of judgment. It was an error. It was not a fucking error. It was done on purpose. They knew exactly what they were doing. And while I even said, hey, you may have been ignorant to the fact, may have not read in all the information that the CIA had provided, that other agencies had provided, right? And this is a very acute example, but he had an obligation to read and to know. So rather than me shame a person that's already been tried by a court of his peers and never got the punishment, that I would believe would be appropriate, which is, you know, to just cut ties completely and learn to code. It's not my job because judgment, you should not be the one to pass it. But having said that, we can speak up when people are taking advantage of people. So going back to the whole, I ran to figure it out. We have to understand that reading is important and understanding how our government works is extremely important. I noticed months ago, uh, walking, you know, out to places that I was being shoved documentation about issue one in Ohio. And the first time I got shoved a, a thing to sign, right? It was from a Catholic group telling me that, um, you know, this is to make sure that abortion is never legalized. I said, okay, may I see the bill, right? All of these people are collecting signatures without showing you a copy of the bill. They said, oh, let me go get one. And I'm reading it and I'm like, this has nothing to do with abortion. Well, yeah, well, you know, they're going to make it harder to make, you know, constitutional amendments. I said, well, how many constitutional amendments? has been citizen-led that have passed in the past 10 years. And they looked at me like, shit, I don't know. And it's like, yeah, that's right, because it's been over a decade. Over a decade. And the only measures that pass are the ones that are funded by money. I'll tell you why. As I ran 
And you all know we didn't pay anyone for signatures. It was actually grassroots. They still found loopholes to dismiss signatures because they didn't want something to happen. And not only did they do it through the Ohio GOP, they did it as independent and then Ohio State University was tapped and, 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 and all these illegalities happened, which you'll see in a federal suit very soon. Because what I see is the most atrocious psychological operation on the people. Ballot one, just so you understand, is going to stymie citizen voices, regardless if you like the voices or not. It literally hands control over to those that are in office. You want to change the way elections are done? Guess what? You're not going to fucking do it because you're handing over more power to them. Listen carefully to what this bill says. It clearly says that, the, that they want to increase the threshold of 60% of them vote to make a constitutional amendment. It would make it more difficult for citizen-led initiatives. See, the legislature, they just decide, they're selected, they're placed, they're funded. They're usually loser attorneys or family members that come in and just fucking do it. Do what they're told. That's who's in your state legislature. Prove me wrong. This disallows people from actually bringing measures. So consider that it's always been majority vote, right? Any constitutional amendment that has passed that's been citizen-led has been over 53%. And they're on things like uh, wages and levy mills. We're talking like there was a dry spell of 30 years of no amendments. But the legislature does a shit ton of them, right? Citizen-led is limited. I think the last one was either 2006 or 2009, if I'm not mistaken. It's the most atrocious thing I've seen to see people that are for America first advocating for Americans to literally denounce their rights. See, there was a criminal sentencing reform that was initiated in 2018 that never passed. Never passed, right? Because it goes through them. But citizens, oh yeah, that's right. It was in 2009, went with 53% and it was to allow casino gambling. That was in 2009. Before that, it was 2006 for minimum wage. And guess what? Before that, it was in 1949. So again, none of these citizen-led ballot measures actually make it even to the ballot because they decide what gets on the ballot. I could tell you that there's been a lot of amendments, almost one amendment every year on average by the legislative committee. This, this is where the sauce is out. So now how is it that they're claiming that this is about abortion? I saw a video on Twitter from the Catholics. Jesus. And I thought to myself, oh my God. So, so far for the past year and a half, uh, I've been monitoring along with um, someone I work with, a bunch of young youth-led conversations about the 2024 elections. And these are going to be riots. And they're all 
coming through the churches, like literally Lutheran, Catholic, this, that, you name it, they're having Zoom calls on how to activate the people that they have. And now I see the Catholic charities with a bunch of people that say they're for America and to give power to the American people advocating that they must forfeit the majority and make it 60%. Do you know who pushed that? Frank LaRose. Because do you know why? This federal lawsuit will demand damages and in, will dovetail a change in the way election laws are done and how the election system is done. This was always the plan. To showcase that it's not just the machines that are rigged. It's a whole process. And so now we have all these clergies and all these, oh, I'm for God and I'm pro-life and no, 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 pushing to tell the people of Ohio, and this is why only there's a few states that allow this. Most states are majority. A shit ton of money is being dropped. And so here's the funny thing. I see, I see in a few weeks, two weeks, right? In 10 days, 10 days, actually, 11 days. People are voting on this, and we have fucking assholes out there that are claiming to be America first, pushing on it. They're going to do a rosary thing. It's going to be bigger than the Roe versus Wade. We're going to give full support to take away your rights even more because we don't want the crazy leftists to change the law. That's their excuse, that the leftists are going to change the laws, that the leftists are going to make abortion legal. That the leftists are going to do, the leftists can't do shit. As you noticed, two amendments were done by citizens, right? All approved by the legislature. And the last one was in 1949. Citizen-led issues never, hardly ever get put through. And that is the problem that I see right now. That we have people that are claiming they are America first, pushing the cabalist, and the WEF and the WHO agenda of taking away your rights. I am appalled. But you know, it's money. It is actually money. Money, money, and money. No one's read the bill. Look, uh, let me show you what the Catholics charity did. And I am livid. Livid because people are that dumb that they still follow blindly, completely. Let me share this on my screen. So pissed. Christians are uniting nationwide for a rosary rally to protect Ohio's children. The Christian heroes who are leading the historic rosary rally include the renowned Jim Caviezel, General Michael Flynn, and Abby Johnson. You can see the group of demonstrators now making their way, going to Dodger Stadium. The Catholics behind the Dodger prayer rally, which sent shockwaves worldwide. In an August special election, voters will decide whether or not to raise the threshold of support needed for ballot measures to 60%. Move will make it harder for voters in November who will decide on a possible ballot measure to codify abortion rights in the state constitution. 
Ohio is on the front lines of the for abortion rights in America this year. Two powerhouse American organizations have teamed up to bring people from all over the country to attend what many are calling the most important pro-life, pro-family event since Roe v. Wade was overturned. If you're watching this video, you need to do three things. Number one, you need to pray for these elections. Number two, you need to vote yes on issue one if you live in Ohio. Number three, if you live in Ohio, the great tri-state area, you need to be there at the Rosary Rally, August 6th, Feast of the Transfiguration. Voting yes on issue one, we're going to protect our Constitution and save our children from abortion on demand and genital mutilation without parental consent. We need other guys to stand up right now. We need church leaders. We need to just freaking Americans to stand up and say that's it, that you can't take our children. Take your rosary. We're going to count on the Virgin Most Powerful. We're going to unite our prayers to her heal. We're going to unite our prayers to the sword of St. Michael, the Archangel. Women, we as the heart of a family and society and guardians of life have the responsibility to protect our children from abortion and genital mutilation. We'll see you at the Rosary Rally. We will make a difference, and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. This historic Rosary Rally is going to be led by the great Jim Caviezel, General Michael Flynn, Abby Johnson, and many more renowned Christian leaders. The buck must stop at the Buckeye State. God bless you all, and make sure you're all there as you join thousands of others at this rally, August 6th, Feast of the Transfiguration, to spiritually get us across the finish line as we vote yes on state issue one. No, 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 no. Where in the bill does it talk about abortion? Nowhere. Nowhere. No fucking where. So how is this abortion? Ah, because the left started it. Hey, we want to get women's rights. So what do they do? They counter. It's kind of like ballot harvesting. Since they're doing it, we're doing it. This is the most disgusting and dishonest for people that supposedly support religion and are about God. This is atrocious. This is a psyop. This is how they weaponize religion. They weaponize religion to say, oh, look, they're going to make abortion. No, they're not. They're going to make it more difficult for citizen-led initiatives. There aren't any. They already have the measures in place to keep shit they don't want on the ballot. I'm evidence of that. They didn't want me on the ballot. I had to go all the way up to the Supreme Court, hundreds, a thousand dollars later to get on there. And here we have them weaponizing religion. I told you that this next wave is coming using religion and no one listens. May God intervene. May God intervene. Because this is atrocious. This is how you forfeit your rights as a citizen. Let me show you a clip of what one TV news channel says what Ohio issue is. You're going to see the PSYOP. You have to see it. See, it's one thing. Oh, it's an op. It's like you're seeing it. Nowhere in that bill does it talk about it. Nowhere in that bill does it talk about it. Nowhere. Nowhere. And yet, here we are having this discussion. You know what else the leftists have told me when they sign for things, when they ask me for ballot measures, which they have on the ballot measure trying to get abortion legalized, which none of them are holding the damn bill, right? Minimum wage, we need to increase it. Minimum this, 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 this. They're lying, left and right. 
Then they throw in John Legend to say no. And it's like, then he's getting zero coverage. We've got the left and the right amplifying the same conversation when none of it, none of it has to do with the bill. None of it. Look at what the news are telling you. It is a rare summertime special election with only one statewide issue on the ballot. Supporters of issue because, one say it's simple. You know, it, it's too easy to change the Constitution at 50% plus one. It should be difficult. What would issue one do? It would raise the threshold for passing constitutional amendments in Ohio. Since 1912, it's been a simple majority, that is 50% plus one. Passage of issue one would require 60% of the vote. Too many Ohioans don't even know that there's a special election or that the issue is so important. It's why opponents of issue one would permanently remove our rights from the Ohio Constitution have now launched a $1.1 million ad campaign for an issue that could have profound impacts on matters like abortion rights, legalizing recreational marijuana, and raising the minimum wage. So why the August special election? Republican Secretary of State Frank LaRose admitted last month, quote, this is 100% about keeping a radical pro-abortion amendment out of our Constitution. Last week, abortion rights advocates turned in 710,000 signatures, nearly twice the requirement to put abortion rights on the November ballot. And we're really concerned that if this passes, only well-financed groups will be able to bring ballot initiatives to the people and win. Because currently, petitioners need to get enough signatures from 44 counties. Issue 1 would require them from all 88 Ohio counties. Therefore, policy issues like abortion, marijuana, gambling, all these other things should be left to the state legislature to decide. That was Lena Live reporting. And Restaurant Association and Ohio Chamber of Commerce are supporting issue one to block proposed increases to state minimum wage. Early voting starts at 8 a.m. See, you know who's sponsoring these bills? The same motherfuckers that wanted to make vax mandates legal. The Ohio Chamber of Commerce actually said that they should all be vaccinated to even go food shopping. And yet we're all jumping on the wagon with them. And the left is saying, yeah, we can't do this. See how they horrifically formulate it to create the polarized environment? To say it's about that? No, 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 no. You should just leave it up to the legislature, right? That's what you should do. You should leave it to the legislature. People have no business in changing the Constitution. Only us that are selected have that right. Now, here is, oh, I found it. Let me show you. Let me show you just how many citizen-led initiatives have actually passed. How hard is it to amend it? Well, here you go. Here's what actually passed with less than 60%, right? Because there have been initiatives that have passed with over 60. Citizens in 1914, home rule of alcohol prohibition. Prohibition, property tax classification, county home rule, 10 mil property, Straight ticket voting ban in 1949, no straight tickets. And then from 1949, we get all the way up to 2006, minimum wage increase, casino gambling legalization. Are you paying attention now? Look how many citizen-led initiatives have happened. Absolutely, what, one, two, three, four, five, six of them 
In a hundred years. In a hundred years, six. Six citizen-driven amendments have happened. Six. I repeat, six. Six. Not 60. Six. And we have people that are telling us that we must because it's about the children. The fuck it is. The fuck it is. Here's what it is. There are initiatives being put together in order to change the Constitution on how these elected officials stay in office. The Gonzalez effect. Remember when Gonzalez ran, I'm going to promote President Trump's agenda. I'm this. I'm that. I'm this. I'm that. And I am America first. What did he do right after he swore in? He voted to impeach President Trump. He ran and took money from people on a lie, knowing that he was going in there to impeach him. So what do the people do? Where according to the Constitution of Ohio, you can't do fuck all. You can't recall him. You can't fire him because they have done it that well. Your voting rights are based on the Constitution that they have changed and they are seeking to change even more. And yet people, for some reason, think that this has to do with abortion. It's insane. We should listen to the left on this, actually, because they're at least bringing out what they fear. But again, it doesn't matter how many people sign it, right? It doesn't matter. And again, I'm going to say this just so people understand this. Just because, you know, people are like, holy shit, Jim Cazbizel, General Flynn. Do you think that they read the bill? Because if they did and they support it, that's a big problem. They're just following the money. And I'll show you where the money's coming from in Illinois. And then you're going to think Coke brothers. You're going to think Fon Jules. You're going to think Mercer. Because there's a lot of names you don't know about. Right? This is what they're stopping. The ability for the people to actually have power. Now, we've seen this movie before, right? And that's the problem that we have. People are not reading the damn fucking bills for themselves. They just get... You know, that whole arena thing, the Coliseum feel of, oh my God, we're going to go out there and we're going to pray and, and we're going to save the babies. You're fucking not doing that. You're tying your hands to ever change your constitution, which you've been allowed to do six times in a hundred years. The fuck out of here. Six times in a hundred years, over a hundred years, right? 1914 to 2015, six times. Six. And now you need to protect the children? The fuck you do. You know what this means? People that have money will put on productions like the Catholics for Catholics or whatever, right? They will gather up. They will pay influencers. They will get people riled up for whatever they think is right. Has nothing to do with abortion. But you know who, who said that? It was, you know, Frank LaRose. You know, the one that is pushing for internet voting. The one that is partnering with the World Economic Forum. But wait gets better. I've already told you that the Secretary of State of Ohio was a legislator. During his tenure, his dad, who is one of the biggest alcohol beer distributors mostly, right? Alcohol distributors, House LaRose, so definitely doesn't come from a humble farm family, the fuck he does, right? Created a company called Jobs Ohio, which is Ohio Beverage Services, and they are partners with the World Economic Forum. So now this public-private nonprofit NGO that are doing 
shit about jobs in Ohio, work, employment, union, anyone, right? Our WEF partner. And the funder for all this shit is one of the biggest beer heirs. Oh, it's just a coincidence, Tori. Shut up. Let's take a look at what Jonathan Lemire had to say. Let's look at what the lefties are saying. Listen to them. In a special election this August, voters in the state of Ohio will decide on a new law that, if approved, would change the way amendments are added to that state's constitution. What's being called Issue 1 would require approval from 60% of voters to pass a new constitutional amendment instead of a simple majority. Proponents of the changes say this would this move would protect Ohioans from special interests, while opponents say it would make it harder for everyday citizens to be heard. Joining us now is former Ohio Democratic Party chairman and author of the new book, Saving Democracy, David Pepper. David, good morning. Uh, so put this into context for us. How does this proposal to Ohio symbolize what's happening across the country uh, and with states and state houses that many perceive are, frankly, under, under attack? Yeah, you know, the, I, I argue in this both my books that that the far right is using state houses as the place to attack democracy most fiercely. No one's paying attention largely. Uh, they have powers like gerrymandering, voter suppression, and this is yet another sort of stage of that attack. So the context here is that Ohioans have had for more than a century the right to amend our constitution with fifty percent of the vote. Like Kansas, a few months ago, citizens in Ohio began gathering signatures to amend our constitution to protect abortion access in Ohio's constitution. Uh, and that was what triggered this really cynical effort to change the rules of the game of amending the constitution while citizens were gathering signatures for uh, this pro-choice amendment. Um, it's even more complicated than that, though, because this is a legislature that had recently banned having August special elections, but because they see this November special, this November election coming for abortion access, they had to get in front of it. So they violated their own law banning special elections in August to put on the ballot something to raise the threshold to 60%, thinking that would kill something that clearly has to support a 50% of Americans, so of, of Ohioans. It's a perfect example of how these state houses are being jerry-rigged to, to subvert the majority will in, in states like Ohio. We know that abortion access is popular across the country. The Dobbs decision said it should go back to the people to decide. And all across the, the country, that's the opposite of what's happening in these gerrymandered extremist state houses. This is just the latest of that. So, David, you've been beating that drum for a while. The Democrats need to get better at these local races, need to start winning these state legislatures in order to prevent things like exactly this. Um, you know, we are now less than a year and a half from the next election. Do you think that the Democrats are doing enough? As you survey the nation, are they doing enough to win those local races of which you say are so important? I mean, we'll see. We actually had a really good year last November when when Democrats against the sort of midterm usual pattern picked up the Michigan State House, the Pennsylvania State House, the Minnesota Senate. Uh, but we have to do this across the country. It's not only that we have to win, we have to run. And, you know, 50 percent of the, the Tennessee Republicans who vote out the two Justins did not even have an opponent last November. That's happening all across the country. We, we have a crisis of unopposed extremists. And then we wonder why the extremism gets worse in all these states, including in states that Obama won, like Iowa and Indiana or that Clinton won in, in Missouri. So my, my, my advice in this book is 
start recruiting now. Everyone should look around where they are, especially they haven't had an opponent for an extremist in years. Know when the recruiting deadline is and get people on this ballot for not just this this year with Virginia and a few other states, but next year so that when they when the top of their ticket is probably Donald Trump, an extremist who, who's already struggling the polls, make sure we have an opponent for every extremist for Congress down through these state houses where so much of the attack is taking place. When we don't run, there's no accountability. There's no transparency. And these state houses behave in the lawless ways that Ohio's is behaving as we speak. And David, very briefly as a last one, Ohio for so many election cycles was the definitive swing state, the, the ultimate bellwether state. It has definitely trended Republican last couple cycles. Where do you think things stand as we head to 24? You know, I, th- I actually think the, the big race here is obviously going to be Sherrod Brown. And if you look closely, uh, Tim Ryan only lost by six, even though the governor in Ohio, the Republican, won by 26. So that really Trumpy brand here, J.D. Vance, did not, did not do, do nearly as well as the more moderate Republican brand did. And, and I think Sherrod is going to end up facing a similar sort of far right Trumpy type of candidate. So I think he's got a good path to victory. It's going to be his closest race probably ever. But I think he's got a good path. I mean, we'll see if Biden chooses to contest here. But I think Sherrod Brown, we also have a big Supreme uh, set of Supreme Court races. They also overperformed the Democrats did last November. So I, I, I don't I wouldn't write Ohio off. It's cl- clearly tougher than it was. But you know what we are now? We are a bellwether of what happens when an extremist gerrymandered statehouse hijacks your state. It starts legislating in all sorts of ways, way beyond where the state voters actually are. You know, for example, we're the state that had that abortion ban, no exceptions, to, that led to that, India, that, that Ohio rape victim having to go to Indiana. That is so far out of whack with where Ohio, Ohio voters are. But that's what happens when you have extremists take over these gerrymandered legislatures. David Pepper, we appreciate you joining us this morning. It freaking sucks when the left sounds like a little bit common sense. Here's the thing. It was LaRose that started it. You know, the World Economic Forum. How do we split people up? Let's bring religion and babies in. Don't believe me? Here he is telling you. He said it. Has a battle over how Ohioans can have their voices heard been about abortion all along? This summer, Ohio voters will decide whether to pass issue one, which would require 60% voter approval for future constitutional amendments. But tonight, Columbus Bureau reporter Morgan Trow found out what the truth behind issue one is in a story you'll see only on five. Advocates have argued that issue one, which would make it harder to amend the Ohio Constitution, is actually about trying to make it harder to legalize abortion. But on November 17th, 2022, Secretary of State Frank LaRose said otherwise. That's not what this kind of, uh, of, a, of, a, uh, of a change should ever be about. Ohioans will likely get the choice this November of enshrining reproductive rights in law. Why are you doing it now? because it's ready now. Every single time LaRose has been asked if issue one was related to an abortion vote, he has denied it. If this is about one specific issue, then then somebody's not not really focused on on what we're trying to accomplish here. But the words he said to reporters appear different than when he spoke to his supporters. Here's what he said just last month 
This is 100% about keeping a radical pro-abortion amendment out of our Constitution. A video obtained by News 5 from Scanner Media shows the secretary at Lincoln Day in Seneca County with what advocates call saying the quiet part out loud. It is utterly shameful that Secretary LaRose or anyone would work to take this freedom away from us for just one issue. Jen Miller with the League of Women Voters explains that LaRose was the one who first put forward the idea of raising the threshold for a constitutional amendment to pass from a simple majority to 60 percent. This would change the way the Constitution has worked for more than 110 years. This is again about corrupt politicians and special interest groups trying to trick everyday Ohio people into taking our own rights away. LaRose has continuously denied that his idea is related to any specific policies. In the video, he adds that although it is about abortion now, it would be useful down the road to combat what he calls the left's dangerous plans. The next thing they want to do is put a $15 an hour minimum wage. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let's talk about this for a second. So what he's saying. So he actually wanted to implement this before. Something you don't know is that I had put in a request when I was running to see how it is. Remember the gerrymandering? You all know that the Republican Party is a big problem. And they pretend to be the other side when they're the ones that do most of the corruption. You want to talk Uranium One? You want to talk trafficking? Let's make a list. The majority of them are Republicans. Oh. But his problem is, is that Jobs Ohio is coming into question. And is there a statute of limitations when a legislator uses their family business to promote globalist initiatives? Because this initiative that he said is not about a certain issue, it is about protecting the people in office. That is all it has to do. You think that if they get signatures to put it on the ballot to legalize abortion, then that's going to be okay. That's going to go to the Supreme Court, and that's fine. If people want to legalize abortion, let them fucking gather the signatures. Let us take a look at what is done. Because if you think that forfeiting your rights to those in office that are stealing positions, they don't even get elected, they just get selected at this point, are going to do the job for you, then you're wrong. This is the problem that we have, that he picked up on an issue and was funded hard, $4 million. They're, all, they're getting money from outside sources. $4 million came in from Illinois, from a guy that comes from the alcohol industry, but is well known for their shipping, you know, in containers. And so House LaRose and Jobs Ohio, we have the documentation. It stands for Jobs Ohio Beverage Services. Like, this isn't a joke. And the fact that you have your alt-supposed conservative media thumping this shit tells you they're not on your side or they're just fucking stupid or they're just taking a paycheck and don't care. Uh, in fact, I think uh, the best simile for this is I was talking to someone about something that I'm trying to fix that is in my personal sphere. And I was like, all right, well, how much? And how's this? How's that? How's this? And you know, I said, all right, well, that's fine. He goes, you know, I need some influencers to, 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 to talk about this. I was like, I don't sell shit to my audience unless I know it's fucking legit. I won't tell them about shit unless I know it's legit. You guys have no ideas how, how much money I turn down every fucking day. 
I even had a third party offer me a shit ton of money to sell my pillows. I'm not joking. They're like, read three MyPillow ads and we'll pay you two and a half thousand a week just to do that on three shows. Do my pillow. And I'm thinking, what? I mean, I could get a code from Mike Lindell to sell pillows, which I've asked for, but I guess his uh, people at the time when I was emailing didn't want to. I made a ton of money for his pillows when I was in red state, which I didn't get the money red state did. But anyway, having said that, advertising is a big deal. Money is a big deal. So aside from the left talking, think about it. You're saying, no, it's legit. We should get over 60% of the people in all the counties, you know, to get signatures. And if it's like citizen led where you want to remove the officials, you think you're going to get deep ass pockets to fund you? Fuck no. You think that they're going to let your poxy signatures, no matter how accurate they are, go through? No. I mean, even for me, they were tiddling down on signatures where the blind person didn't sign for themselves when there was a waiver and they were like, well, we should be updating that every 10 years. The person's blind. Someone else signed for them. And it was their wife who also signed. I'm sorry. What? So that's the problem that we have right now, that we have the actual deep fucking state psyoping the shit out of America on uh, an issue that everyone is so strong about, which is saving the children. Right. And it wasn't about an issue. He lied. He lied. He's not honest. Yet for some reason, the GOP has gone full boogie for this WEF puppet. Right. For this WEF puppet, full boogie. Let's see what else they say. In our state constitution. And who knows what's next? Marijuana. We tried reaching out for days to talk to LaRose, but his team refused to answer our questions. They did give us a statement. Their spokesperson said, in part, we need to elevate the standard for amending our state constitution, whether it's health care, minimum wage, casinos, or any other special interest agenda. Issue one applies to an unlimited number of political issues. That's the point. But at the Lincoln Day event, this was the message. This is 100% about keeping a radical pro-abortion amendment out of our constitution, and this is one of the ways that we can make sure that they're not successful. The Secretary of State's office should be a, a nonpartisan position. And this just shows that politics are creeping into how Secretary LaRose runs his office, and that's disappointing. Additionally, in the Seneca County video, the Secretary says he hopes to have an announcement this summer to make about running for U.S. Senate. At the Ohio State House, I'm Morgan Trow reporting. Hmm. But yet, you know, he's, he's, this is, this is, people are dumb. Well, let me introduce you to someone who is paying for the majority of this. Probably a lot of you don't know this person. This is from five years ago. He was trying to influence the Republican party and shape it, <laughs> shape it. Remember how in 2019 I was looking into all this, uh, you know, uh, these issues with energy and money laundering. And unfortunately, Householder got caught in the fucking clasps. I did that shit live. I talked to you guys about it. Obviously, they purged my SQL, so I don't have the co communication. So it's whatever's left on social media um, because that part of my SQL was not backed up. But in 2019, in the spring I um, went after First Energy, First Energy that lines a lot of pockets. 
and does a lot. I was working on Ohio in 2019 before I even got here. It's a big deal when you see someone say one thing. Remember, it was LaRose that couldn't stand Trump because we've got audio of him talking shit like that. But now he suddenly endorsed him because all this money is coming in to ensure that we, the people, don't have a voice. Oh, Tori, but this is going to block the pro-abortion. The fuck it is. Huh. The fuck it is. This is the first 15-minute city is in Ohio, you guys. Wake up. Cleveland is the first 15-minute city. It's already been done. And the minute you forfeit that power, there's no going back. There is no going back. You're done. And they win. And Ohio is going to be part of the cities. As you line, they spell it like this, but they spell their company name like this. Uline. It sounds familiar, right? You've probably used their boxes. The Wisconsin-based company has grown to be much more than boxes. It's a packaging supply giant with over 6,000 employees. The family comes across as unassuming in these corporate videos. But when it comes to politics, they are anything but. The Mercers, the Koch brothers, and Sheldon Adelson already have the name recognition. But the U-Lines may be the biggest Republican donors you've never heard of. They're pouring their massive wealth into super PACs backing insurgent right-wing candidates, already spending roughly $26 million on federal elections this cycle. Chris McDaniel. Candidates backed by Uline generally support the Trump agenda, sometimes veering even further to the right. A proven conservative fighting for Mississippi values. Earlier this year, Mr. Uline gave $2.5 million to Jeannie Ives for governor in their home state of Illinois. She ran this ad against incumbent Bruce Rauner in the primary. Thank you for signing legislation that lets me use the girls' bathroom. The ad was criticized as transphobic. That's exactly what typically a transgender man looks like. I mean, Ives lost. Roy Moore, leadership we can trust. Mr. Uline also gave over half a million dollars to super PACs supporting Roy Moore in Alabama. Moore's campaign was compromised when several women accused him of sexually assaulting them as teens. I trusted Mr. Moore because he was the district attorney. A Democrat ended up winning that Senate race. Mr. Uline contributed half a million dollars to a super PAC behind Patrick Morrissey. He turned the Drain the Swamp rallying cry into something resembling a terrorist threat in this campaign ad. Let's not just change Washington, let's blow it up and reinvent it. That's better. Morrissey won the Republican primary in West Virginia after President Trump disparaged his controversial opponent. Mr. President, if you're watching right now, let me tell you, your tweet was huge. Sometimes the Uline support outsider candidates who wouldn't stand a chance without the money. Wisconsin voters hadn't heard of Kevin Nicholson, a political newcomer trying to unseat Democrat Tammy Baldwin, the first openly gay senator. Then Mr. Uline donated over $7 million to super PACs supporting Nicholson. The Republican Party has endorsed a different candidate in that race, but polls suggest that Nicholson is now a strong contender. The U-Lines spend the most in their home states of Illinois and Wisconsin, but they fund candidates across the country. These mega-donations are helping to shape the 2018 elections while pushing the Republican Party further to the right.
further to the right, it seems like most of the candidates they back are not working out so well and not pretty good. I'm just saying. Now, here is what the Ohio Supreme Court ruled as issues in regards to the ballot measure. Again, has nothing to do about abortion. It has to do about us forfeiting our rights. So those with big money are the only ones that can make citizen-led ballot measures. How many citizens out there do you know that have millions of dollars to employ people in 88 counties to collect signatures for something they want? Hmm. I don't know a lot of them, do you? Hmm? And without the money, you're crushed. Today, the Ohio Supreme Court ruled that the ballot language for issue one must be changed. Issue one asking voters if the state constitution should be harder to amend. Now, there's been a lot of controversy over the wording of this proposed amendment on the August ballot. So our three news legal analyst Stephanie Haney joins us now on set with that ruling, what that means for voters. Stephanie, good afternoon to you. What is the Ohio Supreme Court having saying that should be changed here what are they what are they saying yeah there will be some subtle changes that they're requiring here what we saw today was a partial victory for the group one person one vote those are the plaintiffs who brought this lawsuit this is a nonpartisan group that advocates for voters rights and they have a lot of problems with issue one this is the second lawsuit that they filed related to it now this lawsuit asked the court to require the ohio ballot board to rewrite the issue one language to make it more clear that issue one would make it harder for ohio voters to change our constitution so the court is requiring a few changes, most significantly to remove the word any, referring to proposed amendments. This would clarify that if this passes, it would make it harder for voter-led constitutional amendments to get on the ballot and then pass non-amendments that come from the General Assembly. And the court is also requiring the board to correct an error related to the percent of signatures needed for citizens to get an amendment on the ballot. Now, this is pretty clear. The original text said 5% of voters in each county must sign a position to make that happen, but it's actually 5% of the people who voted in the last governor's election. That's a big difference in terms of the signatures needed to get something on the ballot. Okay. Now, you mentioned that this is a partial victory for one person, one vote. Why is it partial? It is partial for them because they are not getting everything they wanted. The Ohio Supreme Court is not requiring two major elements that one person, one vote asked for. So first, the court said it doesn't have to state what the current law is, which is that simple majority to pass an amendment. And Democratic Senator Kent Smith described the second aspect that opponents of issue one don't like about this ruling by calling it disappointing. He was referring to the Supreme Court saying that they do not have to change the phrase elevating the standards, which is a value-based phrase in describing issue one. He called that misleading and inaccurate as it relates to the August 8th ballot language. And that is the language used to describe the issue one, as I said. The lawsuit would have preferred the word raising to the word elevating. The court wasn't parsing those words. And on the Republican side, Ohio Representative Bill Seitz said that he understands and supports the court's ruling and that the changes they have required will facilitate a better informed public as they go to the polls on August 8th. So now what will happen is the ballot board, which is made up of most of the Republicans, they'll meet tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. They'll rewrite issue one and they're expected to certify it right away. Okay. So what about the other lawsuit that was related to this? Is, is there any update on that? There is not. That first lawsuit brought by one person, one vote, they asked to stop the August 8th special election from happening. So we know the last filing in that case was May 25th. So from here, 
-hmm. Either party could file new documents, the court could ask for new information, or they could issue a ruling. We could get that decision any day now. Wow. Yeah. So issue one would still require raising the threshold to pass a constitutional amendment to 60% because because currently it's a simple majority, right? That is correct. If issue one passes and a voter-led amendment gets on a ballot, it would require 60% of the voters in order to amend the constitution in the future, which is not the case right now. Yeah. And, and here's where some of the irony comes in because issue one could pass with a simple majority and so it could benefit actually from the very thing it's seeking to change. It is quite yeah. ironic. That's yeah. what a lot of the opponents are saying yeah. about it. Right. Interesting stuff. Thanks, Steph. August 8th. Thanks, Steph. Appreciate it. Here's what's funny. Ohio is pushing that now that they know that there's a citizen-led initiative to demand to put on the ballot that to change the constitution to disallow machines from counting the votes. Do you see now how that's never gonna happen and how that they will have full control? It would be so bad and it is so bad. Well, what can you do? You know, they made it, oh yeah, we're gonna make it clear for everyone so everyone can see what it is. So what we'll do instead is beef up the advertising and make people think it's about one issue. Oh, we're gonna prevent these crazy liberals that wanna, you know, make abortion legal. And it's like, wait, if it's going on the ballot, you get to rig that anyway right now. So it's not like it's gonna happen unless you really want it to happen, right? Because they rig everything. People are just so stupid. Let's take a quick break. Problems, I swear to God, they all want them. Y'all so dumb. People so stupid, people so dumb. People so woo hoo, wah, wah, wah. Get better issues, we're gonna run out of tissues. It's so dumb. Yes, people are that stupid. And, you know, hate me for saying it, but it's true. Everyone's just listening to whatever they throw at you, shiny new object you know, a trigger cause. I mean, that's how they trigger activists, you know, on the left. Why wouldn't we work on the right? We'll just have all these people that we believe are your influencers and tell them what to do. And, you know, they're trying to control your mind and they're doing a great job at it. Hmm. You think fifth column doesn't exist? You think this stuff is not really happening? Well, you're living it. And those of you that are like, yeah, I'm going to vote. Yes, I'm going to forfeit my right to be able to have a citizen-led initiative. That sounds legit because then I could get to block, you know, people from demanding that abortions are, you know, in the Constitution. You can't fucking do that because if they put the ballot initiative, then they have to vote. And if we have the right to change the way we vote, then they're not going to fucking win because it'll be not rigged. Please stop. Stop with the ops. Are you not tired of it? I'm tired of it. But at the mind, those who control your words control your mind. You said that the president is using mind control, but how, how is that provable? Your mind. 
You can calm it, lose it, change it, blow it, or even use it to follow the advice of 90s R&B groups. But your mind is also something that other people or forces are trying to control. And sure, your brain is an impenetrable fortress, and advertising doesn't work on you, and you've listened to enough true crime podcasts to recognize a cult when you see one. But people hoping to influence your thoughts have countless ways to at least try. And it sure seems like they can get you to do some pretty weird stuff, at least if we're to believe everything we see on TV. A shopkeeper has lost hundreds of pounds of cash after a thief used a trick that appears to leave the victim hypnotized. Even we were surprised to hear of the latest tactic to sell a house, hypnosis. Whether hypnosis can literally capture your mind has figuratively captured our minds for centuries. Whether it was young Sigmund Freud, or the evil mom from Get Out, or just someone trying to figure out a new use for their old pocket watch. Soon, we drop into a very deep, hypnotic sleep. One, two... And sleep. Hypnosis can put people into a state where they experience heightened focus and concentration and a stronger-than-usual response to suggestion. It's sometimes used as part of therapy for helping to treat depression, lose weight, quit smoking, or cope with pain. There are also more disturbing uses of hypnosis. Thorough understanding of what seduction through hypnosis is, you will be able to fully grasp the concept of this revolutionary new method of seduction the fact is that if you're not using hypnosis, deep persuasion, and mind control techniques to seduce women, you're losing out big time. These alternative types of hypnosis, which don't seem to take into account, you know, consent, became popular in the 80s. They're part of a pseudoscience called neurolinguistic programming. It relies on subtle touches, cues, and language choices to bend someone's will. It repurposes parts of hypnotherapy for more self-serving purposes like sex, sales, or convincing people, no, it's totally normal how much time I spend online trying to learn hypnosis. Many hypnotists argue that hypnosis isn't mind control at all since they claim it can't make someone do something they truly don't want to do. Because no officer, you see, they wouldn't have given me the cash unless deep down they really wanted me to have it. Even if you're able to fend off aspiring hypnotists, there are plenty of other forces trying to gain control of your brain by possessing your body. Forces like, I don't know, the devil? Ever heard of him? The Catholic Church has. According to them, the number of exorcism they've performed has gone up over the last few decades. Speak, I command you. A troubling trend whether the church is just doing exorcisms all willy-nilly or the devil got himself organized and upped his productivity. If you don't believe the devil is trying to take over your brain and body because, honestly, what makes you so special, the natural world is full of other threats to your autonomy, like behavior-altering parasites, a phrase that can be used to refer to your exes. Got em. Toxoplasma gondii is a parasite found in around a third of all people. It's usually passed through animal feces, most notably via cat litter boxes. Researchers tentatively link Toxoplasma gondii infection in humans with impulsive behavior and mental illness. And they found that those who were infected were over two and a half times more likely to have traffic accidents, which left some people wondering whether cats can control their owners' minds. And while a 2016 study concluded that there was little to no real evidence for these claims, I still recommend not eating your cat's poop. 
Governments have also tried to control people through chemical concoctions, also known as drugs. During the Cold War, the U.S.'s drug of choice was LSD. Headed up by the CIA, Project MKUltra was a series of dangerous, often unethical and sometimes illegal experiments on controlling human behavior. They included methods like torture, sensory deprivation, electroshock treatments, and dosing thousands of subjects with LSD and other drugs, sometimes against their will. The programs shattered the lives of many of its subjects, some reporting long-term trauma and permanent debilitation. And if you're one of those weird, the ends justify the means people, you'll be disappointed to hear that long after the program ended, the guy in charge concluded that the work there had been useless. MKUltra was driven by the US's fear that the Soviet Union was also working on mind control tech, which they were. The Soviets had a billion-dollar program for mind control research they called psychotronics, which was built on the pseudoscientific theory that brains could send and receive a kind of high-frequency electromagnetic radiation. While I would happily accept a billion dollars of government money to essentially come up with the idea of being on the same wavelength, the Soviets' ideas feel pretty similar to some modern takes on mind control. It's not that the microwaves have somehow interfaced with the brain. We already interface with the space winds and all these other magnetic fields. Some aspiring mind controllers try to manipulate one person at a time, which, if we're being honest, is inefficient. Mental manipulators who actually believe in themselves try to mesmerize large groups at once. Marketing researchers in the 1950s fell in love with the idea of using subliminal messaging, provocative images and messages flashing on a screen so quickly that the conscious brain wouldn't register them but would be influenced to buy something. It's unclear how effective subliminal messaging is, as some say it works, others say it doesn't, and the rest of us are pretty sure it's just a lazy stand-in for a good ad campaign. But more subtle cues can also inform our consumer habits. In one study, playing French music in a supermarket increased sales of French wine, while piping in German music increased sales of German wine. And I can only assume that playing Taylor Swift would increase sales of very bland wines that every few years my friends insist I try, saying, no, no, it's good now. These days, many mind control anxieties center around the media and how it molds our thoughts and actions. In 2018, the largest owner of local TV news stations in the US, Sinclair Broadcast Group, made hundreds of news anchors read the same script on air. Deadspin compiled those messages into an eerie mashup. Unfortunately, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think. The irony of making broadcasters criticize bias and agenda pushing with the same word-for-word -word script is, well, it's so rich it doesn't have to pay taxes. While Sinclair claimed the segment was a promotional campaign to warn against fake news, the segment led people to accuse Sinclair of being a cult and brainwashing its audiences. But it is true that the internet, and social media in particular, have a massive influence over what we think. Some programmers call it brain hacking, and the tech world would probably prefer you didn't hear about it. Once social media was designed and keeps on creating itself, then the social media, in fact, is going to be shaping the brain. Social media can radicalize unsuspecting users into extreme beliefs and change our behavior through habit building and conditioning, reinforced with tiny rewards like notifications or getting likes, or punishments like no notifications, or people who comment on a post without liking it.
Where do you get off? While big tech isn't dosing you with LSD, although some of them definitely would if you let them, that doesn't mean there isn't a chemical element. Social media has been compared to other addictive habits, like gambling, because it gives your brain a hit of dopamine, which, if you ask the people who built Facebook, wasn't by accident. It's exactly the kind of thing that a, that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. In a 2014 paper with the terrifying title, Experimental Evidence of Massive-Scale Emotional Contagion Through Social Networks, researchers working at Facebook seemed to show they could alter users' moods and posting behavior by tinkering with their feeds. The study was condemned for failing to get consent from the hundreds of thousands of people it turned into subjects. Facebook spokespeople later apologized, but CEO Mark Zuckerberg was probably busy applying a completely appropriate amount of sunscreen. You probably have at least a few years before social media, street hypnotists, or pet parasites turn you into a complete zombie. After all, at best, most methods of mind control have never worked exactly as advertised, and at worst, they range from dressed up cruelty to outright myths. But given the great amount of effort individuals, companies, and governments have put into attempts at mind control and manipulation over the years, staying vigilant is kind of understandable. So for now, maybe you can relax and focus on something else. Like these fine pocket watches I have for sale. Or better yet, I'll just use the problem you have with abortion, amplify it, make it about that, and march you down to the ballot so you can vote in my favor, because I said so, right? And this is how it happens. I am so distraught. So distraught. But you know, money buys you a lot. I'll show you. I'll show you what money can buy you. U.S. billionaire and two of her executives flew a private plane from Chicago to Toronto last month, and they didn't have to go into a 14-day quarantine when they landed. They say they were granted a formal exemption from this government. CBC's investigative reporter Jonathan Gatehouse joins us now with more details. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks so much for making time for us. Tell us exactly what happened here. Well, here's what we know, Vasi, that on the 25th of August, a private jet flew into Pearson Airport in Toronto, and on board was Liz Uline, who is the CEO of Uline Incorporated in Wisconsin, and two of her executives. Now, Uline is a company that sells things like boxes, packing supplies, shipping supplies, janitorial supplies. We know that they spent 36 hours in Canada visiting the company's facility in Milton, Ontario. And we also know that at one point during their visit, police were called due to a complaint that the American executives were holding face-to-face -face meetings without wearing masks. So who is Liz Uline exactly? Yeah, well, she's not exactly a household name here in Canada or even in the United States. So we asked Brendan Quinn from the Center for Responsive Politics in Washington, D.C. to put her and her husband Richard into context. Two of the most influential donors uh, nationwide, not just in Republican circles, but overall. Uh, so they're actually the biggest Republican givers so far this cycle. So they're a big deal. And in fact, the U-Lines are the top Republican donors since the 2018 midterm elections, having given some 40 million U.S. in that period. And over the last 10 years, about $100 million to the Republican Party. 
They're also quite tight with President Donald Trump. Liz Uline was an economic advisor during his run for office in 2016 and has shown up at several White House events. Now, what really might be of some concern to Canadians are a couple of things. One is, is that Liz Uline shares the president's views on the coronavirus crisis and in fact has been an outspoken critic about some of the measures that governments have taken. She's called them overhyped and bad for business. She's also been critical of the media, suggesting that the media has overblown the scope of the crisis. And the other thing here is that these exemptions, these special exemptions, are supposed to be given for people of national interest or for people who are critical to the fight against COVID-19. An example that we've been given is, you know, someone involved in the manufacture or repair of ventilators for hospitals. And it's really not clear how Liz Uline and these executives would qualify under those criteria. Yeah, I think that's what's so interesting, Jonathan, for our viewers, because we've covered so often on this show, for example, the government announcing that the border restrictions, even last night, Katie Simpson was on saying those border restrictions are going to be extended until close to the end of October. They're very uh, tight restrictions. There are some exemptions, but we know that there have been people trying to be re reunited with their families, for example, who have not yet been able to secure an exemption. So I think your your story here will be of, of great interest to our viewers. I know that you also went to the government to, to find how exactly this happened, what their response is, what did they tell you? Well, you know, first we also went to Uline, and what Uline told us was that they received a formal exemption from quarantine from the federal government, but they wouldn't say from which department. So we went to the government. We know that there are only five people in the federal government who are empowered to grant these exemptions. It's Bill Blair, the public, public safety minister, Patty Haidu, the health minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, and Marco Mendocino, the Minister of Immigration, along with Canada's Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Theresa Tam. We asked all of them these questions over a period of weeks. None of them would confirm that they were the ones who signed off on these exemptions. You know, uh, we've also got a situation here where uh, the, the, the grounds that we're being given are privacy grounds. That's the explanation. They say that they can't identify the individuals or even the companies who have made these applications. But curiously, it is public knowledge that the federal government has, has granted these exemptions to professional hockey players and Major League Baseball players. So something here doesn't compute. Very interesting point. I Basically, in Canada, they were not held at the border, yet other people like reporters were, but hockey players were not. And if you have money, right, you don't get held at the border when they have crazy ass laws. But one person should, should, should just sit back and say, all right, something is going on here. And I don't understand how we got abortion into this discussion. Again, it's a hot point just like with the little kids. It's just a simple hot point. Both sides are ramping up. The left was all about yes, and then they flipped it to no. I kid you not. They said yes, and they flipped. I live in Ohio. I know. They wanted me to sign. Oh, whoa. When was it? It was before the wedding. Um, I was heading oh to party city and i think it was apollo that was with me and i got really irritated i was like i've been following this is pissing me off he was like damn that was fire so this guy came up to me telling me to sign this to allow bill one uh issue one to go through right because 
you know, they need it for reproductive, that it has to be yes on issue one. And I was like, so he's just standing there. I was like, oh, you're going to tell me about killing babies. I I'm not OK with that. He's like, well, you have to vote yes on issue one to make sure that everybody has the right to. But now they're flipping it to issue no. Issue one is a no. Yet we have people pushing issue one is a yes. So we've got Democrats on both sides collecting yes and no's, you know, on this and advising them on this and trying to get also a bill, get this, that just spurred up to make abortion legal and increase the minimum wage. Everything that alleged Republicans are terrified of, they now started getting signatures. So this abortion vote in November is actually being considered. So they pass this in an emergency, then you can't pass that law. But there's other laws and measures that are being requested. Like, let's change how we fucking vote. But don't look at that. Look at the abortion part. Okay? Don't look at that. Look at the abortion part. Because all of them are ramping up issues. Now on the left, they changed it from yes to no. And you're like, wait a minute. What happened? Why did they flip? Because it's a fucking op with a ton of money and picking trigger points to get everyone triggered. And this is how they win. They're telling you it's about abortion when it's really not. They just made it up. But they're not talking about the other measures either. We are just over three weeks away from Ohio's August special election, and we are now in week two of early voting. Tomorrow. Secretary of State Frank LaRose will visit our NBC fair and get answers about the early voting and the battle over the single issue on the ballot. Of course, that is issue one aimed at making it harder to amend the state's constitution. It's brought forward a lot of debate and a lot of campaigning. Too. Yeah, both sides taking different approaches in order to reach voters and both sides are ramping up their campaigns right now. NBC4 sales reporter Natalie Fahmy joins us live to tell us how each side's approach differs and what might be most effective here, Natalie? Jared, Jennifer, both sides are ramping up their campaigns and continuing to put out their messaging. But with the issue dividing the Republican Party, the opposing side says they have the advantage. Two different approaches to issue one. Television is vital in any campaign, particularly a statewide campaign. The less important thing is persuasion and TV is a persuasive mechanism, and the more important thing is turnout. The opposing side of the campaign has spent what is likely millions of dollars saturating Ohio airwaves with advertisements urging Ohioans to vote no. An ad has to be seen seven times by a voter to be burned in, and that's why repetition is so important. It certainly has a, a, a small impact and perhaps in a low turnout race, the uh, the no side thinks that spending a boatload on TV is going to make enough of a difference to um, to to win the, the day. But some voters say advertisements are not. They are doing their own work. I have seen a few campaign ads on either side. Uh, I kind of researched the amendment myself for what they're talking about. While the yes side of the campaign does have advertisements airing, they are focusing on their grassroots approach. I think it's just reminding people how important this is and then sticking with them and, and turnout really. If you have to see an ad seven times for it to be burned in, uh, some guy show, showing up at some event 
uh, and, and ta talking about it once it is not going to burn it in. While the effectiveness of campaigns remains to be seen, the Republican caucus in Ohio is split on issue one, with some opposing it and Democrats standing firmly against it. I respect Republicans who are against this, but I think overwhelmingly the Republican bloc is for it, and I think that will prove out on election day. This is not a strictly Democrat versus Republican issue. This is a bipartisan uh, opposition to issue, issue one. Early voter turnout has been higher than expected. Both strategists say that typically fares well for the Democratic Party, but Republicans could play catch up on Election Day. Local for you at the State House, I'm Natalie Fahmy, NBC4. So it's a bipartisan issue because there are Republicans that are saying, no, this is this is a problem. This is a very big problem. And and people are making it about grassroots. See how smart they are? They're like, that's all. We'll just find the trigger point just like the leftists do, we'll push on it and we'll get people to do what we want them to do. And we'll just tell them it's about abortion because that's a trigger issue, right? For a lot of people. So why not? And that's how they win. You know, because a great amendment that should be coming in is prayer being put back into our U.S. schools. Praying is important, regardless if they've hijacked your religions or not. Prayer is very important because when you do it in his glory and ask him to do his will, oh boy, is it done. President Kennedy makes news on many fronts in his weekly press conference. To reporters crowding the State Department auditorium, he restates America's stand against any Red China threat to Kamoi and Matsu Islands. He discusses his trade expansion and Medicare programs. Asked his opinion of the Supreme Court decision banning prayer in schools, the President says, Well, I haven't seen the measures in the Congress, and you'd have to make a determination of what the language was and what the effect it would have on the First Amendment. The uh, Supreme Court uh, has made a judgment. A good many people, uh, obviously, will disagree with it. Others will agree with it. But I think that uh, it is uh, important for us, if we're going to maintain our constitutional principle, that we uh, support uh, Supreme Court decisions, even when we may not agree with them. In addition, we have, in this case, a very easy remedy, and that is to pray ourselves. And I would think that uh, it would be a welcome reminder to every American family that uh, we can uh, pray a good deal more at home, we can attend our churches with a good deal more uh, fidelity, and uh, we can make uh, the true meaning of prayer much more important in the lives of all of our children. That power is very much open to us. And I would hope that uh, as a result of this decision that uh, all American parents uh, will intensify their efforts at home. Prayer. You know, everyone's being opt right now by those that claim that are on our side. And you have to understand that ballot measures often deal with polarizing issues. They often do. But in this specific vote, it, you know, it's being done to highlight some ballot measures that are being initiated by alleged citizens, their companies, to motivate voters to turn out and vote. They often involve issues that involve deeply held beliefs or values. And by placing them on the ballot, political groups can galvanize their base and encourage voter participation. 
This is why they're going out with this whole rosary thing. It's the most, this is weaponizing religion, weaponizing Catholicism, which is not old Catholic. So I don't agree with it. And I know there are a lot of Catholic out there. I'm sorry. I just can't. Okay. You have a Pope. It's for me claiming that someone is a deity representing God and preaching abstinence because they're supposedly higher than thou when they're the biggest fucking sinners. I can't. But the use of polarizing issues in ballot measures is a psyop. It is a psychological operation. And this is coming from someone that has implemented these in other nations. It is a very tactful strategy that aims to influence your emotions, your motives, your reasoning, and ultimately your behavior. In the context of ballot measures, a psyop is uh, involved in framing the issue in a way that appeals to voters' emotions and deeply held beliefs. They are telling you that raising the threshold, making it extremely difficult for citizens to put forward an amendment to their constitution is for their benefit. When in essence, in a hundred years, only six citizen led initiatives actually made it. And they were with over 50%, not 50 plus one. And so the ballot measured is framed in terms of personal freedom, individual rights, whatever values people hold dear. By framing the issue this way, the proponents for the measures can appeal to voters' emotions and potentially sway the vote in the favor and the measure that they want. I mean, they could have, they, they, they use that tactic. I mean, they could use fear and uncertainty, which is another one, but voting, they're trying to say that voting against it could lead to negative consequences. That's what they're telling you. They're telling you, hey, these people want to legalize abortion and put it on the ballot. So what we're going to do now is quickly say, nope, you didn't meet the measures. You can't get it done. So we don't want this. You all have to vote, you know, yes, because, hey, then abortion could be legalized if people vote for it. And it's like, wait, our elections are rigged. This isn't okay. This is a problem. What are you talking about? Why are you taking our rights away from stymieing you to be able to do shit? They'll tell you that, oh, it'll cause crime or de dead babies. And it's like, but it's not about that. It's almost like everyone's going to die from COVID, even though the fatality rate is 0 0.0000. Everyone, we're going to make abortion legal if we don't take away your rights. We need to make sure that you collect 400,000 signatures and from 88 counties and 5% have to be from each of those 88 counties. There are counties that don't have five fucking percent to give you. This is horrible. And what can we do? It's pretty much Californication. Californication, Hotel California. I think we need both of those to end for today. Because everyone's trapped. They follow the stars. They know you'll follow the stars. So they'll pander on it. On another note, you know what's really weird? I'm going to be off the grid for the next three days completely. I have already, I have someone, my counter, one of my counterparts will be sharing what's necessary for news.
There's a lot happening. And it's going to be pretty exciting. And don't forget to sign up for the Lindell event. Use the code Tori or Tor says Tor is fine. T-O-R-E. I think that's the one they landed on. Because I'll be there talking for Ohio. It's going to be pretty interesting, you guys. It's getting very interesting. And remember, it's Hotel California. It's basically what it is. Hotel California. Keep your head leveled. Make sure you're paying attention to those and that that matters to you, not everybody else, to you. And always read just because someone said so. Like I've said before, everybody follows the stars. I mean, we saw Clapper sitting in there on the UFO thing. Not a psyop at all, huh? <laughs> I think they just want to demonize. I mean, I'm okay with being a villain in people's stories, okay? I'm okay with that because I could be your villain if you want me to. This is exactly what they're doing. They're villainizing the very people that are taking them down with this whole UFO, a friend of a friend, the dog walks, my fifth cousin reiteration. The key here is that they made mention to you that the non-human biologics may not be from outside this earth. That was key. Because again, I mean, if you're going to make the X-Men, you better have a leash on them. But what if the X-Men decided God is pretty awesome? And summarizing, if God made Wolverine, he was the guy before Wolverine. So he is still God's child. And what if Wolverine says, I want God to love me? Then Wolverine is very dangerous to a lot of people. And so why not make him an alien and unite people on how scary it is? Why not? Let's just throw it in, right? Let's just throw it in. The valiant ones. God bless everyone.
someone if they don't know and the unwilling do and how do we do this we're standing at the precipice of an election and i'm reminded of a story from antiquity a story that resonates within the spirit of a constitutional republic the story of the fall of the walls of jericho just as the israelites stood before the formidable walls of jericho we too stand before a monumental task. The walls of Jericho were not just physical barriers, but symbolic ones, representing the challenges that seemed insurmountable. Yet with faith, unity, and perspective. Well, I mean, oh gosh. I'm, I'm lost for words at this moment because these symbolic walls of Jericho that looked so immense to overcome and with perseverance, unity, and faith, they were triumphed. And the walls once seemed invincible to crumble to the ground, just like evil seems to be invincible lately. But there are people that are knowingly and willingly allowing this to happen. And in our journey as a nation right now, we face two walls. The walls of division and the walls of inequality, walls of cynicism. And boy, boy, boy. These walls seem insurmountable don't they they seem like you can't overcome them but we have to remember the story of jericho we have to remember that no wall is too high and no challenge is too great if we stand together as a people united in purpose and resolve our trumpets are our voices our votes with each ballot we cast we send a resounding message a clarion call for change, for progress, and a better future. This election is not just about winning. It's about tearing down these walls that are holding us back. This is what the most incredible thing is, is that I don't believe people look back in history far enough to see the challenges that have been overcome and how they were overcome and how they will be overcome once again. Because in the end, God wins regardless. I'm extremely distraught. At seeing that team evil and team, I want to pretend I'm good, but you know, I'm benefiting from it. So I'm pretty much no different than evil. I just use good words. That's how I see it. So again, this election is not about winning. It's about tearing down the walls that hold us back. It's about making our voices heard. It's about standing up for what we believe in. It's about unity. It's about coming together as one nation under the banner of freedom. So we need to raise our voices and make sure that our votes count and watch as the walls of division fall before us. 
For just as the walls of Jericho fell, so too will the walls that stand in our way. Now, many would say why God would ever forgive a sinner. And I want you to understand, from a theological perspective, many religions, including Christianity, teach that God is merciful and forgiving. The concept of forgiveness is also tied to repentance, which involves acknowledging one's sins, feeling genuine remorse, and making a sincere effort to change one's behavior. A sinner who has decided to not sin, I mean, we all sin every day. Like, I've sinned a hundred times since I woke up this morning. But start serving the people humbly is a way of understanding people and growing compassion and demonstrating repentance and the desire to change. And that gets amplified. This act of service is an attempt for many people to make amends for past wrongs and live a more virtual, virtuous sorry, life. And in um, many teachings throughout all religion, God's forgiveness is not limited by the severity or the number of sins committed. Instead, it is the sincerity of the repentance and the commitment to change that matters. Almost like, oh, Hillary Clinton's innocent because I didn't find intent. See, God works like that. It's about intent. How do you, what is your actual intent when doing things? Therefore, a sinner who genuinely repents and begins to serve others humbly could be forgiven by God, according to most teaching. So again, just as the Israelites stood before the formidable walls of Jericho, we too stand at that monumental task. We have to start sifting through the rubbish that they give us. We have to start paying attention. Hey, get a load of these lyrics. Now I'm really gone. Have a great weekend, guys. See you on Monday. Artificially intelligent